Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. Welcome this morning. So good to have you guys here. Isn't this a great time of the year? Come and celebrate what Christ has done. Next Sunday morning, special Christmas service. Our children's choir will be singing, and I'll have a special Christmas message next week. I want you to come back for that. If you haven't seen the drama yet, the musical, come tonight. It is just fantastic, and you'll really enjoy it. Invite your friends to come. That's at 6 o'clock this evening. And we're also having a special Christmas Eve communion service. It'll be at 4.30 and 6 o'clock. Take your Bibles out. Turn to John chapter 7. If you're a guest with us, thanks so much for being here. We're glad you came today and uh, trust you sense the presence of the Lord. John 7 and verse number 37. Let us stand for the reading of God's word today. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Father, today as we open up your word, open up our hearts this morning, that we can see again who we are in Christ Jesus. We thank you for these powerful illustrations you've given us the Old Testament that point directly to you. So I pray it be a reality in our hearts and lives today, and we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them to look festive today, and then you may be seated. When I was growing up, uh, my grandparents lived in Faustoria, Ohio, and uh, my mom and dad, we lived in Cincinnati, and it was my brother and I at that time, and so we would go at Christmas time, we always went up to Faustoria. And so we'd wait for Dad to get off work. As soon as he'd get off work, it was about a three-hour trip from Cincinnati to Faustoria. And my grandmother was a little fat lady, and she could cook unbelievably. And she wanted to kiss all over you. So when grandkids came in, she's kissing you all over the place and hugging you. And, you know, as kids, you're trying to fight away from all that. But it was just exciting to get home for the holidays, to be with Grandma and Grandpa. And then as my parents... Uh, moved to Florida, became snowbirds, we lived down there in the wintertime, and, and then eventually year-round to take care of my grandparents. Uh, they lived down in Florida, and so I would get my kids. And so when we were small, and we always at Faith Assembly had this candlelight communion service. It's always been a meaningful time for us, and so I would have to be here for Christmas Eve night. But then as soon as that service was over, get out of here about 8, 8.30, and I'd pack all the kids, and we'd go down to Florida. And once again, we'd pull up, and Mom and Dad would be waiting. All the lights would be on. They're sitting there. There are Christmas trees in there. They're waiting for you to come. And the next day, we'd have Christmas Day together and spend as many days as we could there, depending on how it fell during the week. And now I'm a grandpa, and now I'm home. And so now it's exciting for me to play, replay that over again, see my kids come back, bring my grandkids. We're all waiting for them to come. We're looking out the door. Are they here yet? We're listening for that sound of that car because it's something about being home for the holidays 
that makes it a great celebration. I mean, I like the lights, the gifts are okay, all that stuff's fine, but it's about with family. It's about getting with your friends, people you love, spending time with them. To me, that's what the holidays are all about. Now, we have been looking at seven shadows of the reality to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible said in Hebrews 10.1, these are just shadows. This is all the reality. And this feast right here, the last one we're talking about today, is the Feast of Tabernacles. It was all about coming home. It was one of the pilgrimage feasts. And so Jews from all over the Roman Empire would come back to Jerusalem. And they would come and they would celebrate. It would be a great festive feast time. It would be in the time of October, on the 15th of that, of that month around October, and that's when they would come home. <coughs> Excuse me. So it was a great, great celebration. And we're going to look at tabernacles today, and we're going to see how that is perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There are more allusions to tabernacles in the New Testament than any of the other feasts, and so you're going to see a powerful fulfillment this morning. Now, if at Passover we celebrate God taking them out of bondage and bringing them out of Egypt, and then we came to Pentecost, and we saw that it was on that time they arrived at Mount Sinai, 50 days later, and God gave them the law on top of the mountain. Uh, Then we come all the way to here. This is about their journeys through the wilderness, how God kept them, how he kept them, how they tabernacled with him, how he was that cloud by day that covered them, that pillar of fire by night. And so that was a remembrance feast of how God took care of his people when they were in the wilderness. So first of all, let's take a look at the shadow. I want to show you that very quickly, and then we're going to look at the reality always in Jesus Christ. There are several elements that revolved around the Feast of Tabernacles. One is booths. In fact, sometimes it was called the Feast of Booths. And all of Israel would build these little little tents, canopies. It would have three sides to it. They'd make it out of poles and sticks. They would cover the top with willow branches, and that would be the lining. And for eight days, Jesus said, God said, I want you to go out and I want you to live in those tents. So it was literally a, a feast of camping. I don't know how camping and feasts go together. I, I, I'm not crazy about camping and sleeping outside on the ground. That doesn't exactly excite me or thrill me, but it was a feast of camping. And so they would camp out there. They would eat their meals out there. They would be under the shelter of that canopy. And so it was all about the booze. And this was to remind them of God's protection while they were in the wilderness, while they were in that wilderness area passing through. But, but here's the deal. They didn't begin to celebrate this until they arrived in the promised land. Remember, he gives the feast in Leviticus. It was about a feast that was going to be celebrated after they arrived in the promised land. What happens when they get in the promised land? They have houses. They're no longer living in tents. They're living in their homes, their houses. They've got their land. They've settled down. This is their land. Why does he tell them, Eight days out of the year, I want you to go and live in tents all over again. Because he's always reminding Israel that even though they are settled in their land, they are simply strangers passing through this land. This land is not their home. Now, we need to be reminded of that as well. You might not go out and pitch a tent to remind you of that, but I want to tell you, this world is not your home. We are strangers passing through. God has a better home that he is preparing for us. Everything about earth is temporary. It's going to pass away. It's going to be burnt up. But my habitation is in the Lord Jesus Christ in that eternal dwelling with him. 
And so he's reminding them, even though you now have your homes, you now have your houses in your heart, you are always people looking for that heavenly city, looking for that new home that I'm preparing for you. In fact, the name Hebrews literally means strangers who cross over. Put those two words together, Hebrews, strangers who cross over, for they're crossing the Red Sea and then later crossing the Jordan River to get into the promised land. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. And you will see there the analogy of Abraham. And this is the kind of the idea that tabernacles meant. Okay, By faith, Abraham, when he called to go to the place he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. How many times have you set out, you don't know where you're going? You don't have directions, you're trying to find your way around. Thankfully, we have now GPSs. Aren't those amazing? And, and Siri talks to you, turn right here, turn left here, go straight here. Uh, we have our GPS today, but he didn't have any idea where he was going. He just by faith obeyed God and he went. Now let's keep reading. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. So he's going to settle in land of Israel like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with the same, of him with the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city who, with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So while Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those patriarchs are on the earth, the Bible said they always lived in tents. But the idea was they knew that wasn't their home. One day they're going to go to a new city, a heavenly city, an eternal city, whose builder and maker is God. And so there's this, he wanted the Jewish people to be reminded of this at Tabernacles. This world is not our home. We fall in love with stuff. We fall in love with our junk. We fall in love with our pleasures and, our, and everything else around us. And God says, keep in mind, have eternity in your hearts, that, that this is not what it is all about. It is much, much more than this. And that's what Tabernacles reminds us of. And then in the wilderness, they, 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 the, and when they were in the wilderness, the children of Israel lived, as it were, in the great tent of God. Now, we know they lived in tents themselves when they dwelt in the wilderness, but they literally lived under the great tent of God. Now, I want you to think with me. Go back in time. Say God has just pulled you out of Egypt. How can two to three million people survive in the Sinai Peninsula? It is one of the harshest places on the face of the earth. The, the heat by day at certain seasons could be brutal. It could literally fry you. You would be killed because of the heat, heat exhaustion, heat strokes, all that kind of stuff. They've got children with them. They've got women with them. They've got elderly people with them. They've got men and women who, who would fry out there in the wilderness. They would die right away. God brings them out, no food, no water, brings them out into the Sinai Peninsula. How are they protected while they're traveling or going to be out there for 40 years? What does he do? He puts a canopy over top of them, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So out of the tabernacle, remember in the Holy of Holies, the glory of God came down in a cloud. It was kind of like a mushroom cloud that spread out over the nation of Israel. That was their only protection from the sun. Had it not been for the cloud of God's glory and God's presence, they would have fried in the wilderness. Then at night, the temperatures could drop 
and get really low, and so you could freeze to death. So what does he do? That canopy becomes a pillar of fire by night. It is God protecting and keeping and sheltering his people. And then what do they do? Every morning they get up, there's manna on the ground. They could get water out of the rocks and the, and the, the, where he would direct them. They could strike a rock and water would come gushing out that had been gathering there or God placed there and they all have plenty to drink. And so God supernaturally for 40 years is going to sustain the nation of Israel and keep them from perishing in the wilderness. They are in the great tent, the great tabernacle of God. And God is still the same today. He will be our protection. He is my source of food. He is my source of living water. He is my refuge, my shelter. All those things relate directly to who God is for us today. God kept them and protected them. Listen to Psalm 91 and verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Isn't that great? That's that's our promise today. God is my refuge, my rock in time of storm. Tradition goes on to say that even when they finish building the tabernacle, remember when Moses dedicates the tabernacle, what happens? The cloud of God's glory comes down and fills that place. They believe that happened. The dedication of the tabernacle was around the Feast of Tabernacles. And then remember when Solomon goes into the temple? He's just built the temple of God. They believe that the dedication of the temple occurred about this very same time of tabernacles. What does he do? He goes in and begins to give thanks to God. He says, God, I know this is only a shadow because I know a building can't contain you. Your spirit and presence is so much greater. But he begins to worship the Lord. And the Bible says a cloud came down and filled that place and they all fell down and worshiped the Lord in that temple area all at the Feast of Tabernacles. And then there's one more. Turn to Psalm 27. Very interesting story of how David alludes to tabernacles. Psalm 27 and verse number 1. Now, the backdrop of this, this is one of those occasions when David is running for his life. Saul's out to get him. This time he's pinned him down. He knows exactly where David is. He knows the mountain he's at, the ravine he's at, and he is beginning to close in. And you almost get the scene that, that David's passing one way on the side of this mountain, this hill, and Saul's coming around on the other side, and he's about to overtake David. It's against that backdrop that this is what David writes. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then he alludes to tabernacles down in verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. And set me upon a high rock. Then my head will be exalted above my, the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make music to the Lord. There's a scene of rejoicing. And that's exactly what went on at the Feast of Tabernacles. They rejoiced and they sang and they danced and they celebrated. Because they were dwelling in the house of the Lord. It was a great festive occasion. And David alludes to that. So let's break it down. This this feast lasted eight days. 
And on the first day, they would carry branches. They would go down, and all the people would get palm branches or willow branches. And they would come, and they would begin to wave them. And they would begin to celebrate. And they would begin to dance. And they'd begin to twirl around. And they would head up into the temple area, waving their palm branches, celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. It occurred on the 15th day of Tishra, which was sometime in the month of October. And so they're celebrating, and they wave that, and they would wave their palm branches to the east. I think it's this way. And then they would go to the west, and then wave, wave them to the north, and then they would wave them to the south, signifying there's a day when Messiah is going to come, and the glory of the Lord is going to cover all the earth. And they're waving their palm branches, and they're celebrating what he's done, and that is going on. And, and they're singing the Hallel. Uh, turn to Psalm 113, or excuse me, 118. The Hillel went from Psalm 113 to 118. And so they're waving their palm branches and they're singing these words. Look at verse 25. O Lord, save us. You've heard the word Hosanna. The Lord saves. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. With boughs in his hands join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And they're waving their palm branches and they're chanting this and singing this in this great celebration that's going on. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And those priests in their white robes, they begin to get happy and they would dance and they would twirl and they would sing and they would jump up and down and wave their palm branches. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What are they doing? At Feast of Tabernacles, they are looking for the day when Messiah would come, uh, when the Savior would come, and he would bring salvation to the world. Tabernacles, great, grand, glorious celebration. Now you got that going on. Guys cutting down palm branches, going to the temple. You got another group of priests. This is what they're doing. They got a priest He's got a band playing with him. He's got his own private band. And they're going down, and they leave the temple. They take a golden pitcher. They take that golden pitcher. They go down into the Kidron Valley, and there's a pool in the old city of David called the Pool of Siloam. And they would take, and they would dip, dip their pitcher in and pull water out of the Pool of Siloam, and they would dance and rejoice, go all the way back up the steps, all the way back up onto the Temple Mount, back into the temple area of Jerusalem, singing and dancing and celebrating all the way with this golden pitcher of water. And then they would go into the temple area, and there was this great big huge brazen altar. I showed you a picture last week. They've now already built a booth over top of it, covered with the willow branches, and they would climb, and one priest would climb up one side with his pitcher of water, and another priest would climb up the other side on a ladder with a pitcher of wine. And they would begin to pour it out. And of course, when they're doing all this, when they're dipping for the water, they would quote Isaiah, drink, drink deep out of the wells of salvation. And they would pull that water up, and they would take it into the temple area. And one guy's pouring the wine, symbolizing the joy of the Lord. And the other guy on the other side of the altar, he's pouring the water. And they, and they did that every single day. Every morning they get up, do the same thing all over again, go get the water, get the wine, 
pour it on top of the burnt offering over top of the altar underneath the canopy of the Lord. So you get that scene going on, and it's all happening at the same time. Isaiah 12, 3, with joy, you'll draw water from the wells of salvation. And they would quote this and sing this and recite it. And they were thanking God. God, thank you for providing water from the rock when we were out there in the wilderness as they're pouring out the water. And then there's something else is going on. The Jews are carrying torches. And they come at night, they carry these torches. And they, the whole city of Jerusalem begin to light up because they're all lighting torches. It's also a part of the Feast of Tabernacles was the Festival of Lights. And so they light these torches. And inside the temple area, there are four massive candelabras. And on top of each candelabra are four uh, basins of oil. And so they go up on top of each candelabra, massive things, and they would light that. And so what happens is at night, you could see over top of the temple area, the temple mount, it was like it was on fire because all the flames are are whipping up into the sky. And so it's reminding them of the pillar of fire that God put over them, what, when they're out in the wilderness. And so they're lighting all these fires in this area. And so it's lit up, they're pouring out water, they're rejoicing. One rabbi said, one who had not seen the festivity and rejoicing at Sukkoth or Tabernacles has never seen rejoicing in his life. Great, great celebration. Now, listen to me. If there's this much joy going on in shadow lands, going on in a shadow in the Old Testament of the reality to come, why are Christians so morbid? Why do you frown? Why are we so introspective and sin-consumed? And sometimes we get such a negative view of ourselves, or we become so sin-conscious that we are so down and so solemn and so somber. Listen, atonement was the day for fasting. Atonement was the day for somberness. It was the day of sorrow. It was the day of weeping. But let me tell you, once Christ has forgiven your sins and and washed every sin away, you move from atonement uh, and you go into tabernacles and we rejoice and we dance and we delight in the Lord and we magnify Him and we celebrate what Christ has done. Hallelujah! I am in the dwelling of Christ. I am in Christ Jesus now. I am in tabernacles now. And it's a time of rejoicing. Listen, when you come to church on Sunday morning, you come in and don't say, oh, just I'm glad I made it here. When are we going to get this over with? Get in here and dance and shout and sing and rejoice in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Hallelujah. I, uh, I wish I could dance. I have absolutely no rhythm. I can't even clap and sing and tap my foot at the same time. I'm kind of like, <laughs> I won't even go there. Uh, uh, I, I can't do it. No rhythm whatsoever. And so if I tried to dance too much, I'd be a distraction. You, you, uh, you'd lose it. You, uh, so I, I kind of, I got to watch myself. I can't sing either. I mean, I can sing, but not very well. And so I do sing. I do make a joyful noise. But, but it's a celebration time. Christ is my shelter. He is the light of my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? He is the wells of water of salvation that are poured out for me. Hallelujah. In Christ Jesus. 
you know, in Leviticus 23, when he lays out the feast, all the feasts are there in Leviticus 23, he commands the people in verse 40, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Got to do it. It's required. It's required to be happy. Joy always follows cleansing. Cleansing first, forgiveness first, atonement first, and then five days later, joy, rejoice. And so God in this feast is reminding Israel how one time they were in bondage and they were delivered by God's mighty hand, but God protected them every step of the way. He went with them through the wilderness and he provided for them until they entered the promised land. But he says, I don't want you to forget God. Every year on the 15th of Tishra, I want you to celebrate tabernacles. And I want you to rejoice and have a great, great time. There's a, there's a great illustration of this. Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of those incredible little books in the Old Testament. And, and it's, this, it's the story of Nehemiah taking the children of Israel out of captivity back to Jerusalem. Now, they've been there for like 70 years in Babylon, and so Nehemiah is going to lead the charge back. He's one of the waves. There's about three waves that will return and go back into Jerusalem. Nehemiah is broken and grieved because the walls of Jerusalem are in ruins, and the city of Jerusalem is open to attack from their enemies. And so uh, God does a whole series of miracles. He provides for their journey back, some 800 miles. He, uh, they get there. All the, all the people go with him. And in 52 days, it's marvelous, they rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And so it's an incredible little book. But when they got done, something happens. Ezra, Ezra steps up, and he's going to read the law. Now, he's reading the law to the tribes of Israel. And, and the Bible describes it as people are going around explaining what the law meant and what the law said. And so they're explaining that. They're teaching the people. they got a little seminar going on. And he just reads through the entire law. And the people begin to see how far they had gotten from God how they had forgotten God in their captivity, how they left him out, how they had turned to idolatry. And the Bible says the people begin to weep and mourn and cry. Now you read it, it's in there. Nehemiah looks at those guys and he says, stop crying. Because now is the feast of tabernacles. And we command you to rejoice. Now can you imagine somebody, they're, they're, they're crying, snots running out their nose. <laughs> they're, they're bending over you. I mean, they're, they're just broken. And Nehemiah commands them, stop weeping right now. So they suck it up. I don't know how they started laughing or what they went into next. But they, they quit crying at Nehemiah's commandment because why? He said, it, it's tabernacles right now. We've just rebuilt these walls in Jerusalem. Our city's been restored. It's time to rejoice. It's time to be glad. And we find this little verse in there that is so powerful. It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Be strong in the Lord. How are we strong in the Lord? It's through his joy and the joy we have in Christ Jesus. And that becomes our sustaining strength. When, when Jesus describes the kingdom of God, when we talk about the kingdom, the kingdom is the place where we dwell. So he's taking me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And the kingdom is anywhere the king rules and reigns. And so now because I'm in Christ Jesus, I'm in his kingdom. How does he describe that kingdom? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I dwell in the joy of the Lord. And that becomes my strength. So that's what you have at Tabernacles. Palm branches, water, fire, all that's going on. 
Now, how is all of tabernacles fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, you see it right out of the gate when Jesus is born. Now, Matthew and Luke give very long, detailed accounts of the birth of Jesus Christ. John, who is probably the closest disciple to Jesus, gives one verse to describe his birth. And it's found in John 1 and verse number 14, and that's all you get from John. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt, made his dwelling in the New International Version, among us. The word for dwelt is the word tent. He pitched his tent among us. Jesus became flesh and pitched his tent in human flesh and tabernacled among us. So all the way back to his birth, you see this allusion to tabernacles, God coming down and dwelling among his people. Just like he dwelt in the middle of the tribes in Israel, in the tabernacle there, now God himself becomes our tabernacle and he dwells among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. Hallelujah. Tabernacle dwelt among us. He pitched his tent. And now go back to John 7. He's 30-some years old now. He has started and launched his ministry, and he goes back. And I read it to you earlier. Let's glance at it again very quickly. On the last and greatest day of the feast, he's talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. It consumes John 7, 8, and 9. All three chapters are around the time of Tabernacles. And so he says on this last greatest day of the feast, he stands up, cries out with a loud voice. Now he's in the temple area. He's now very loud so all can hear him. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. He says, I am that water. I'm the water that's being poured out. I'm the wells of salvation. It is not a well. It's not a pool of Siloam. It's Jesus. He's our salvation. And remember how I said they climbed up either side of the altar and one poured wine and one poured water? Remember what happened when they stuck a spear in the side of Jesus Christ and went up into his heart? What did it say came out of his side? Blood and water. Blood and water. Wine poured out. Water. Day after day after day. But here's the catch. Remember I said for seven days they went down to the pool. And they got a pitcher of water. They marched back up. The feast lasted eight days. On the eighth day, they didn't go down to the Pool of Siloam. Instead, their their feast is winding down, and they take an empty pitcher, they would tip it upside down, and nothing would come out. It's at that time Jesus Christ steps up. You're out of water? That's okay. I'm tabernacles. Uh, I'm the feast of tabernacles. I am the living water. No longer do you have to go through that feast again and again. It is all fulfilled in the reality who is Jesus Christ. I am that living water. Hallelujah. And he says, let them come unto me if you're thirsty. Drink. And then he goes on. He goes further and says, you know what? Not only am I the living water, it's going to flow out of you. So now we all become pitchers. To a dry, parched, barren, weary world. And he flows through me, and I flow out to others, and I bring life 
and I bring hope. All that is in tabernacles, I can bring to people through Christ Jesus. I am the living water, but out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And he says he spoke of that concerning the Holy Spirit, which was to come. He said he had not yet been glorified, but one day he would be. So Christ gave his life for me. He opened the way into the Holy of Holies. He rose again on the third day as my scapegoat, carried my sins away, right? Forty days later, he goes up to the Mount of Olives. He ascends to the right hand of his heavenly Father. He sits down because his work is finished, but he promised something. He said, if I go away, I will send back to you another comforter who shall be in you and with you, speaking of the Holy Ghost. Now in John 7, he alludes to that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He says, there's coming a day when all of my people will be full of the Spirit of God and they will be like water poured out in a dry Somerville, a dry Goose Creek, a a dry Monk's Corner. We'll be like water being poured out wherever we go because it's going to come out from within us. Hallelujah. Isaiah 32, 1 and 2. There's a powerful prophecy here. And I'm reading from the King James because it says it better. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. Now we know who that is. That's Jesus Christ. And princes shall rule in judgment. Who are the princes? That's the body of Christ. We rule and reign with Christ Jesus. We execute his vengeance on the enemies. We overcome the darkness. We're princes now in the kingdom of God, ruling and reigning with Christ Jesus. And what shall we do? And a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind, tabernacles. And a covert from the tempest, tabernacles. As rivers of water in a dry place, tabernacles. As the shadow of the great rock in a weary land. Uh, What am I saying? In God, in Christ Jesus, I can bring shelter and life and water to weary people. It's all been fulfilled. It happened when he sent back. His Holy Spirit. Now I said John 7, 8, and 9 were about tabernacles. That was the time when he was in Jerusalem. Listen to John 8 and verse 12. I am, one of the I am statements, we sang the great I am, one of the I am statements in John. I am the light of the world. What's lit in the tabernacles? Four big candelabras. Now they're being lit. Everybody in Jerusalem sees those candelabras lit. Jesus, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And then he illustrates this concept of the light of the world by doing one of the greatest miracles Jesus Christ did. Of course, they're all phenomenal. But Jesus was a great guy for great optometrists. He was a great eye doctor. He was incredible. He opened blind eyes all the time. Of course, he was a great uh, bone doctor. Uh, making the lame to walk again, and he's a great ear doctor, whatever an ear person is, opening ears all the time. He's just doing miracles all the time. But, but the longest miracle recorded in the Word of God is found in John 9 at the Feast of Tabernacles. Now here's the scene. There's a man that's outside the temple. He's been placed there to beg for money. And they said, you know what? This guy's been blind from birth. And so they asked the theological question, trying to stump Jesus Christ, who sinned? They must have passed him. They must have saw him there. Who sinned that this guy's blind? That must have been his mom and dad. After all, he was born blind. Or was it himself or somebody else? They wanted to know why. You ever, you know, when, some, when you see a, a, a disaster or something bad, don't you want to know why it happened? 
You wonder why this happened? And Jesus makes a statement. Listen, you guys are all off. This has happened that the glory of God might be revealed. And then he does something. He bends down and he takes some water, mixes it with dirt, and he makes mud pies, right? He takes these mud pies and the guy's born blind and he goes, pow, and puts the mud right in their face, right over their eye sockets. Now what's going on here? Jesus is doing a creative miracle similar to what God did in the book of Genesis. Remember when God made you guys, made Adam and Eve, made us? What did he do? He says he made us from the dust and mud of the earth. Now Jesus Christ, the I am God, is doing the same kind of creative miracle. And this is what I believe. And as you read the scripture, go back and look at it again with fresh eyes. As you read the scripture, I believe that guy had no eyeballs in his eyes. They were just sockets there. Well, why do you think that? Well, first of all, it's the only time he put mud in somebody's eyes. He made something, stuck it in their eyes. But, but also, the people, even after the miracle, didn't recognize who the guy was. He's been there every day begging, and some are saying, is this the guy that was blind? This guy without eyeballs? I mean, every, every other time he healed a blind man, nobody ever said, who is that guy? They knew who he was. This time they couldn't figure out, is that him or not? Because the guy I knew had no eyeballs. This guy has eyeballs. He looks different. He's different. So he puts his eyes right, mud packs right in there. And what's he do? He says, go down and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now they're down there drawing water from the wells of salvation. This guy goes walking down there. There's palm branches all around. Everybody's partying. Somebody leads him down to the water. And the Bible says he washes the mud out of his eyes and he can see again. And then he's going to talk about light and the imagery of light. And what does he say? He says, you Pharisees and Sadducees, you got eyeballs, but you can't see. He says, but this blind man can see. There are spiritual realities that you are not aware of. And here's the deal. Unless we draw from the well of the waters of salvation, we will always remain spiritually blind. But God does something. He does a creative miracle in my heart. He tells me I need God. And so what do I do? He touches my eyes. And I go down and I draw from the water of salvation. I draw from Jesus Christ. I receive him into my heart and life. I become a part of his family. And then I am in tabernacles because I am in Christ Jesus all going on around this powerful, powerful feast time. Paul uses this phrase more than anybody else, in Christ Jesus. That word in, is the, in, the, in the Greek, is the little word en, in. And, and it literally means into or to snuggle down into. So I am literally snuggled down in Christ. I dwell in Christ now. I'm living in tabernacles now. And now I can see. And now I've drawn from the well of salvation. And now I live in Christ. And now I am filled with his joy. Hallelujah. And now I am simply a stranger passing through planet earth. Can't wait till I get to be with him in glory. Hallelujah. I got to quickly hurry. I got to, I know, stay with me. Give me 10 more minutes, guys. Where else do we see palm branches? Palm Sunday. What are they doing? They got their palm branches out, just like tabernacles. What have they been doing every time they wave their palm branches? They're looking for Messiah to come. Hosanna 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On this occasion, when Jesus rides on that donkey into Jerusalem, what are they saying? Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're waving their palm branches. They are recognizing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah they have been waiting for and looking for every year at Feast of Tabernacles. He is my tabernacle. The reality is filled in Christ Jesus. And they wave their palm branches and he comes in. And so i got to wrap it up. In conclusion, and I'll say that a couple more times before I'm done. Ephesians 1, I don't have time to read it to you. Ephesians 1 says that, that God has given us the Spirit now as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So His Spirit inside of me tells me I'm a child of God. Those living waters inside of me, they're in there already. The Spirit is with you when you ask Christ Jesus into your heart. He's there. And so that guarantees I've got tabernacles to come because His Spirit is within me now. He goes on in Ephesians 2 to say, now I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. So I am in tabernacles right now as I stand here today. I am in the tabernacle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I dwell in Him and He dwells in me. But there is also a future dwelling in tabernacles still to come. And that's the whole imagery of the new heavens and the new earth. Turn to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah 14. And uh, I won't read it to you. It's it's too long, but I'll just read one verse, verse 16. Zechariah 14 starts in verse 7. The Messiah is my light. He is my light, the imagery of tabernacles. Zechariah is pulling upon these feasts. And then in verse 8, he says, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. They'll go to the east and they'll go to the west. And once again, he pulls from the imagery of the feast. And then in verse 9, he says, the Lord is in our midst. And then you get down to verse number 16. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up. Excuse me, go up year after year. You see this idea of tabernacles every year to worship the king the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the what? To celebrate the what? I got it up there for you, I think. Oh, it's to sell, oh, there, uh, we don't have it up there, I'm sorry. To celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. It's up there now, it's the last phrase. Okay, I was looking for the whole verse. To celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. What is Zechariah seeing? He's seen not only the day when Messiah would come and we will wave palm branches when he enters in Jerusalem. He says beyond that to another day that we also see in Revelation chapter 7. Now turn there. We will read that one to you. Revelation 7 and verse number 9. After this I looked and before me was a great multitude. Remember Zechariah says out of every nation. That no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, tabernacles, and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation, the Hillel, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. And so now there is this idea of eternal tabernacles in that new heavens and new earth when we will praise and glorify the Lamb forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. 
I am in tabernacles now because I'm in Christ Jesus. There is a future fulfillment in a greater dimension when I will be in tabernacles for all eternity. And it's called heaven. And it's going to be glorious. And we will worship and magnify the Lord and bless Him. A new heavens and new earth. It's going to be a time of perfect rest. Remember, Hebrews says, There yet remaineth the Sabbath rest for the people of God. I enter into the rest of Christ Jesus now. But there is a time coming when he says, No man shall work. Night is coming. The time is coming when nobody shall work. It will be a per- perfect, eternal rest in Jesus Christ. In that new heavens and new earth. I have joy now. I have tabernacles now. I rejoice in the Lord right now. But i got to be honest with you. There are times that sometimes I do weep. And sometimes I do get upset. And sometimes I am stressed out in this world. And sometimes we face heartache and pain. And those times still come. But God promises a day when he will wipe every tear away from their eye. And there'll be no more dying. There'll be no more funeral services. There'll be no more sick up there. There'll be no hospitals up there. There'll be no graveyards up there. There'll be no mausoleums up there. It'll be perfect joy, eternal dancing in the presence of the Lord. That is still to come. And that, my friends, is a part of tabernacles. He says in Psalm 30 and 5, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Listen, in Christ Jesus, the best is always yet to come. In Christ, the best is always yet to come. In tabernacles now, I am in Christ Jesus, but I'm also like Abraham. I know I'm just intense, and I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And so I want to invite you. Listen, if you don't know Christ, it's time to come home. Come home for the holidays. Come home for tabernacles. Come into Christ Jesus. Come find Him. Find your joy. Find your forgiveness. Find your salvation. Find your light. Find your refuge. It is all in Christ Jesus. And you can know Him. And He can be your Lord and Savior. And He will abide in you and you will abide in Him. He'll guarantee your future to come. It's all in Christ. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.